Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, a podcast for horse lovers everywhere. I'm your host, Tracy Malone, and in episode 12, I speak with Kate Pilcher from Globetrotting. Kate is a person who not only loves horses, but loves to travel the world. And after a spiritual crisis in her young adult years, she trekked off around the world riding horses along the way and decided to make a living out of her two loves. Hence, Globetrotting was born. When we become mothers, business owners and horse owners, it can be easy to let the everyday grind stop you from doing the things that you love. Kate has kept such a great balance in her life as every trek she sells, she rides herself first, before anyone else. She designs the whole experience for you in person with her little family in tow. She says she has the best job in the world and after this interview, I am hard pressed to disagree with her. I had the pleasure of going to the Margaret River ride in 2017 and it was the trip of a lifetime. But when I booked it, I knew that every trek on the website had the same feel about it. And after talking to other globetrotters, it seems we all felt the same. It was after that trip that I really wanted to get the full story of how such an incredible business was brought to life. So I was thrilled when Kate agreed to be interviewed for the podcast. So this episode is a little different. This one is not about training or working with horses. It's about the pure pleasure of traveling the world and having a full cultural experience on horseback. During this interview, it was a bit hard for me to stay focused as the virtual tour I had on horseback was so great, I found it hard to come back to earth for a while. So for this episode, I invite you to sit back, relax and enjoy your very own virtual tour of the world on horseback. Here is Kate. Kate, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It's a pleasure, Tracy. Thanks for having me. First of all, Kate, can you tell me a little bit about what it is that you do? Um, Yes, in a nutshell. So we really are booking agents that specialise in horse riding holidays or cultural horse experiences, you know, from all over the world, like far-flung destinations like Mongolia to Sumba in Indonesia to Kenya and then in our own backyard in Gympie and the high country in the Kimberley. So we're pretty much the travel agent equivalent, but we specialise in horse riding holidays and we road tested them all. It's an extremely hard job and everyone wants our job. And um, then we provide the impartial advice to you know, horse enthusiasts and try and match them with their perfect riding holiday, you know, whether it be Australia or whether it be somewhere a little bit more remote like the Masai Mara in Kenya or Botswana. I guess the sky's the limit really in terms of where people want to ride. Um, and, yeah, we just try and make sure that what they're going to pay for and the experience that they have in mind is perfectly matched when they get there, you know, because it can be quite troublesome booking a horse riding holiday direct because you just don't know. I mean, you could get there and you could be mounted on a donkey or you could be paying top dollar and you could be getting, you know, less than ideal um, accommodation or, yeah, we're just sort of the peace of mind really. It's a, it's quite a niche industry, but it's, it's we've seen to struck a, struck a chord with people, yeah, horse riders and horse enthusiasts. We definitely have everyone's dream job. There's no question about that. And everyone's out there kicking themselves going, why the hell didn't I think of that first? Why the hell didn't I think of that first? (laughs) It's very true. And look, we were the first 
booking agency that specialises in horse riding holidays in Australia. So when I sort of, you know, decided to set up Globetrotting, there wasn't an agency. There, it's very common in the UK um, that, you know, and, and Eng- the English are really um, avid globetrotters um, and they go all around the world and and there's there was an agency in America as well but there was nothing in Australia servicing the Australian or New Zealand market so it was just you know timing's everything and then a pinch of luck it was um, I'd sort of come back from um, a horse riding safari in Kenya in the Masai Mara as a photojournalist so you know my father and I sort of you know boarded a plane and and went to do this riding safari that we'd heard whisperings about you know for three or four years and and that just sort of completely turned my whole entire world you know upside down and that sort of started yeah my personal globe trotting journey I guess you could say. Wow and I'd like to hear a little bit more about your life before it got turned upside down if you don't mind (laughs) so first of all and gee wouldn't we all love to have our world turned upside down I highly recommend it. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about you. Let's take a step back. Did you grow up with horses? Have they always been a part of your life? Absolutely. I was blessed. My whole childhood is just, yeah, full of sunshine and lollipops. I um, was brought up on a cotton property um, in Western Queensland near Dolby um, on a, and my father had racehorses, you know, very amateur trainer, but very much a horseman. You know, even back then when we were sort of, I guess, in that era, they were training horses very differently to how we, you know, do now. Dad was always very soft with his horses. Um, and we were, you know, plopped on big 16-hand um, race horses. And, you know, that was sort of my ticket to freedom. And I seemed to, out of my siblings, seem to connect with them the most and I remember coming home from school on the school bus and then you know jumping on my horse whether it was bareback or throwing a saddle on and and just yeah going out riding and it was my connection with my family and probably my father that yeah just you know it just grew and grew and grew my riding and I you know don't get me wrong we weren't sort of we went to the odd pony club, um, you know, in a broken down float. Now horses were never, you know, push button ponies. We learnt to ride on, you know, bush horses that, you know, would, <laughs> would, you know, do every practice jump perfectly. And then when we get into the arena, would balk at every jump, you know, in front of them. So, you know, they taught me patience and persistence and, you know, which was, I thank my parents for that. And we were never allowed our own horse. We always had to share, you know, you know, we weren't, with our siblings, my siblings. So it was, I think that's what I would like to do with my children as well. But yeah, we, we just love trail riding and being out in nature. I think that's really sort of blossomed into why I liked riding and obviously the freedom to be able to, yeah, go off an adventure with your horse. And then, you know, when friends would come over, we'd double dink and go down to the creek. And yeah, it was just, it was a really blessed childhood. What happened when you left school? Did you pursue a career with horses or did you look at something else? Yeah, no, well, I got sent to boarding school. So horses from then on sort of, you know, I would ride on school holidays and things like that. But, you know, after that, we, I went to university and mum and dad sold the family property and horses weren't really on my radar at that stage. I mean, and it's quite typical when you, you know, you discover boys and you become a 20-year-old and you're at university. Horses just in that, in my life at that point, were too hard. So it was, 
it was never a career option for me at all. I, I knew I loved writing um, and I decided just to do a broad, you know, degree in communication and journalism and, and specialising in photography. So that was, you know, just to buy me some time to find out what I wanted to do in life. Um, and then obviously, as everyone does, I then after finishing my degree, I started travelling, really. So horses weren't really, they, you know, they were they were quite ingrained in my childhood, but then I sort of didn't rediscover them, so to speak, until after university, after I came back from travelling. And how were they reintroduced to your life once you came back from travelling? So we, so mum and dad retired in Mullaney, and so when I came back from travelling, I I got a job at the local newspaper as a photojournalist. So I was doing that, and I wanted. No, I wanted my, we, none of the horses that we had from out west, they were sort of older at that stage. So we didn't have any real riding horses. And I put an ad in the newspaper to see if anyone wanted any horses exercise. Because as dad sort of said to me, you know, you're only as good as how many horses you've ridden. So I got heaps of people respond to that. So I, you know, every sort of week or twice a week, I'd go to all these people's different places and, and ride their horses. You know, just to just to sort of, I don't know, get my skills up as a horse mm-hmm. rider because I hadn't ridden for a while. I mean, you never forget. There's there's no doubt about that. But looking back now, I really had no clue whatsoever, and and I still wouldn't call myself a horse person. I mean, I'm you know, I'm literally on the precipice of 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 you know, I just enjoy them, and it's that feeling that you can't sort of put words on. They're just such intuitive species, but. Um, and then we discovered a polo group down in Mullaney and um, dad played polo when he was younger out at Quilpie. And so we went down to that and I sort of loved that idea of polo and the speed. And, you know, and we went down and they put me on their best polo horse so that they get you addicted. And then, you know, you, it was sort of a really lovely, like it's a beautiful polo field. It's, you know, all stone fences and then, you know, you're overlooking the Glasshouse Mountains. So it's a, it's a beautiful setting and I learned to sort of play polo there and then one thing led to the other and I started to look for my own horse and, you know, buy my own horse with my own money and I think I was sort of in my mid-20s or maybe a bit later at that stage and, yeah, I found a gorgeous ex-race horse, you know, a four-year-old called Tilly, a little mare and she was, you know, she failed her barrier trials and she was perfect for polo. She was only 15 hands um, and I just, nagged one of the you know to, to buy your first horse because you know you can get so many you can you can sometimes not find that perfect horse but yeah she's just we still have her like my girls have riding lessons with her this afternoon and she can play you know high level polo she can jump and then she can you know come down to another level where my girls are sort of you know kicking her around you know bending poles and things like that so yeah, that's really when I started with my own horse that I started to learn so many more skills in terms of, you know, she'd come off the track. So she hadn't, you know, trail ridden. So I started going to courses and things like that. And we both were sort of teaching each other. Um, and that, that started, you know, my love of horses, but more on a recreational level, not on a career level whatsoever. And where did you go from there? Are you still playing polo these days other than having babies? Yeah. Yeah, no, in between having babies, exactly. No, I um, polo season starts like it, we're just at the start of polo season, so we're we're getting all of the girls fit, and I've got a tournament next 
weekend. So yeah, no, polo, I love. I love, I'm a bit of a speed addict, to be honest, Tracy. So I love the idea of going fast and I love bush polo. I'm not sort of into the hoity-toity polo. I'm into the polo that I just like going out and, you know, getting the best out of my horses and every horse that's on the field that I ride, you know, we've sort of learnt the sport together, which is really nice. And I spent a lot of years riding with dad, which is so much fun. Um, he doesn't play anymore, but he always comes and watches. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a sport that um, we squeeze in around our crazy family and the girls. But yeah, I, um, I love it. Fantastic. And as far as career goes, what was your step after photojournalist in the Sunshine Coast? Yeah, so we so after working in that newspaper, like it was a, a weekly newspaper, we realised there was a gap in the market on the Sunshine Coast where there wasn't a tourism publication. And I'd always, always, even when I was travelling, I'd write in my journal. I had a dream of owning my own magazine and, and a magazine that wasn't about, you know, famous people. I never found famous people interesting. I wanted everyday people, like just, you know, salt of the earth people that you would you know, somehow or other never meet and find out their story. So we, my father again and I set up a magazine called Salt um, and it was a quarterly tourism publication that we put together and it was really, really successful. So I worked on that for 10 years on the Sunshine Coast, um, you know, with and it just grew and it, it has a really good reputation and we sold that two years ago. And while I was doing that, that's when I went to the Masai Mara in Kenya um, as a photojournalist and discovered, you know, this amazing form of travel um, that I hadn't even, you know, I was the typical sort of backpacker through Europe where, you know, you sort of travel, but you don't get beneath the skin of a country. When I found, you know, the Masai Mara in Kenya, not only was it a third world country, so the chaos and the colour and the culture just completely awakened all my senses it was you know being on a horse and you know seeing the game up close and personal that I realized that this was the travel that you know I'd been waiting for so when I got back from that I had this back from the Maslow Mara ride and still running the magazine I had what I like to call a quarter life crisis so I was with my boyfriend at the time Stephen who's now my husband and we had a mortgage and a dog and I was desperate for him to propose to me and he was desperately not proposing to me <laughs> and um, my parents had just split up so my sort of whole you know idea of you know marriage and that was sort of rocked and so I yeah said to Steve that I had to leave for and just sort of I don't know reboot reset and so I went and fortunately dad looked after the magazine for me and I went over to Argentina in Patagonia and I think one of the most remote places in the world, a hundred thousand acre stamp here and where you have to actually ride in, there's no vehicle access. And I hid out there for six months, breaking in horses and working with the gauchos and just riding every day. And yeah, poor Steve was left with the mortgage and the dog. <laughs> and um, yeah, I just wanted to be anonymous. I think I was sort of, yeah, looking, I think I was wanting this life that, yeah, I don't know. It was it it was hard time, um, but it was also a really invigorating and life changing time as well because it was literally you just worked with nature and you worked from sun up to sundown and you just yeah I really sort of discovered my love of horses there and the culture and the 
the wide open spaces. And then from there, I went uh, back over to Kenya and then worked as a horse riding guide there for six months where I learned to speak Swahili and just, you know, worked with horses and animals and guests and things like that. And just, yeah, like a, a little piece of me is sort of in Argentina and Kenya. I feel like they're my second homes. And I came home to Australia and that's where, you know, everyone was sort of wondering, you know, what had happened and, and other horse people were like, well, I want to do that. And yeah, I guess that was sort of the birth of globetrotting, you know, from, from then. And that's when I set up globetrotting on, as an online business and it ran parallel with Salt Magazine for, for quite a few years. Can you just take me back one moment? Because I'm still yeah. off in the, the African <laughs> jungle riding a horse. <laughs> And yeah. um, and you said you saw game there. Can you tell me what that was like the first time? Uh, There's not many people in the world that would have ridden a horse past game. Can you tell me, uh, yeah. just take us through that moment, please? Well, it's addictive. It's um, uh, it, The first time was in the Maslow Mara, and I can remember clearly I was on this little chestnut mare, which, and um, that you're riding sort of ex-polo ponies there and choose what I'd call a pocket rocket. And... Um, I remember when our guide said we were going to have to cross the Mara River, which, you know, is swarming with crocodiles and hippos and, you know, like it's full migration time and, you know, let alone having your horse swim and if you fall off and stuff like that. But, you know, I'd never felt so alive in my life, you know, it just in, in a great way and, and to, you know, sort of be dipping your toe in the sort of tea-stained waters of the mar and see, hearing these honking hippos upstream and, and the guide cracking a stock whip to get them to move off. It was just crazy hectic, but just oh, addictive. And then, you know, getting having elephants mock charge you and um, you just, you literally are alive, you know, and it's nearly hard to put it into words, but I know that all my clients, when we do send them to, to Africa, it's the pinnacle of riding holidays because it's just not the same bumping around in a safari vehicle, you know, and, and peering at them through a lens on a camera when, you know, you're on an animal and a giraffe is looking down on you. It's just, you know, it's, there's nothing else that you can compare it with. And then when I got home to Australia, you know, riding through the bush, I was still so used to looking out for elephant and buffalo to come out. It was just, you know, it, it, it was really hard to sort of come back to, you know, kangaroos popping out of the bush rather than buffalo. <laughs> who, thought, who thought a kangaroo would be disappointing to see in the bush? <laughs> I know, right? I totally agree with you. Wow. And how are those horses in Africa? How are they with the game? Yeah, they're amazing. So we, my, one of my roles was with the young horses to get them used to or desensitised to the game. It's funny. It's actually the giraffe that really freaked them out compared to, you know, the predators like the lions or, you know, the elephants that, you know, are going to generally charge you. But they graze. Like, you know, I've, I go, we go back nearly every year, every second year, and the horses just astound me. They're so level-headed. They're very herd-bound, which is fair enough. So if one moves off, they all move off. But, you know, they, you know, we can be looking at lions three metres away and the horses will be grazing, you know, and then they'll be ready to, to, to go if they have to. I mean, it's, you know, that, that story there, that either excites people when I tell them or they're just shaking in their bones and we know that, you know, Africa is not the destination for them. But the horses are brilliant. They really are. And, look, you get these massive aardvark holes that, you can't really see because of long grass and, you know, if you just give the horse its head, it'll jump them or, you know, they're just, they're the perfect safari horse. You know, we, 
we tell our guests, you don't want to get on that horse and think that you're going to collect it up and, you know, that you're going to do dressage. That's not the horse that you're wanting. You're wanting a horse that, you know, is neck reined, give it its head and it will take you, you know, safely, you know, and swiftly through, you know, some of the best riding country you could ever imagine. Wow, there's so much trust there. So for that one, you'd have to be very trusting that you can let go and be a great rider, knowing that you could sit anything and, and get through it. Yeah, the, the, the term, Tracy, is you have to be able to gallop out of trouble. So, yeah. you know, and that's very true because if you, like, it's more, to be honest, it's the elephant that you have to be the most careful of and it's the cows that are protecting their calves. When they charge, and they're very, you can, they're very obvious when it's a mock charge, you know, there is a positioned flat, you know, flat back to their body. And when it's a full charge, you know, you will be able to tell and you need to turn and, you know, canter. You don't have to gallop, but you have to canter away. And if your horse is swerving saplings or trees or anything like that, you need to be able to stick that. If you don't, the horse will get away, you won't. Um, you know, I'm making it sound dang, like, you know, but you're sandwiched between guides at the front and guides at the back. And we've had, you know, beginners train for this ride to then become intermediate riders and then complete the ride, you know, safely because the horses are, the horses are just so brilliant, you know, and wow. so they, that our guides will match um, ability to horse and you can nearly be a passenger. You really can because the horses are so great, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something that a lot of people, you know, have on their bucket list and, and it's no wonder, you know, it's the best riding in the world. Wow. And <laughs> yeah, I know everyone's got the picture in their mind. We're all on horseback right now. I certainly am. I'm like, Tracy, you asking questions. Get out of Africa. Um, where was the next, where was the other place you went to? Argentina. So Argentina. Argentina. Thank you. Nice. Tell me yeah, more about Argentina. Well, it's the epitome of horse culture. So well, I was actually I was in Chile beforehand, which is so Patagonia obviously stretches from, you know, Chile across the Andes into Argentina. So um, in Chile, they have their horse, their gaucho equivalent is called a Bacchiano. And I rode in Torres del Paine, which is a UNESCO listed national park there. You know, they have Bacchiano trans translated to Pathfinder and they have to cross these crazy hectic glacial filled uh, rivers. They have to cross mountain paths, passes that you wouldn't even, us flatlanders wouldn't even want to touch on these criollos, which are the quarter horse equivalent. They're one of the oldest registered quarter horses in the world. And these horses are just amazing. You earn their trust and they'll go anywhere, you know, without second guessing it and so I got to ride in Chile and then went to this Argentinian Estancia who I I just heard about through you know traveler conversations that it's Estancia Ranquilco and it was owned by an American and you like literally have to ride in and he does everything you know he's married an Argentinian and um, yeah you have to it's pretty much just living on the land and which is great you know we'd um, slaughter all our own goats and and they have milking cows and you know everything like it's just it's just this sort of hidden world that you could literally tap out of life for a long time there and be blissfully happy yeah we I was there for six months working with the gauchos but they these particular gauchos they what loosely translated to the soft touch so they would break in horses 
you know, in a way that, you know, we would aspire to. And yeah, ride the Creole horses and we, yeah, we just, it was, you know, lunch, picnic, saddlebag picnic lunches beside, you know, creeks and, you know, just really lovely time in my life to sort of reset and sort of get a bit of perspective. And that perspective was what I wanted to do in terms of, you know, just following my passions and my passions were horses, writing and photography. And that sort of, I guess, was shaping, you know, when I came home, that shaping, you know, what globetrotting ended up becoming. Yeah, we all have those moments in life. When I was studying counselling, um, we did this whole thing where they said there'll be this moment where you need yeah. to go and find yourself. That's when you go and travel. That's when you check out yeah. of life for a while and just go and do something. And they're the moments where, you know, you can do it at home, sitting on a rock and meditating, or you can do yeah. it in a really interesting way like you yeah. did by yeah. going, so you know. True. Yeah, yeah, and it's that finding yourself and it's what am I actually here to do and that's when the magic happens, you know, after those moments. So, um, Yeah, I agree and I was so lucky to do it at, you know, 25 to have such clarity at that age, you know, to know that I had to sort of get away and I say to my globe trailers, you don't have to take six months off, you don't have to have a quarter life crisis but even our trips of five days or six days you know, it's so meditative being on a horse and in nature away from any device with like-minded people. You really do get that perspective that when you get home, you, you just have so much more clarity. Like you just, because you've taken away from, taken out of your everyday life and you come back after a riding holiday, you just are hungrier to pursue what, you know, makes you feel good. It's, it's really, really powerful. I, and I think that's why, you know, my, our globetrotters or my clients, I mean, and they really are friends. They, they are addicted and they, they do it every year because of that amazing feeling they get when they come home that they literally are compelled to book another ride. You know, it's, it's really cool. It's very self perpetuating. Mm, definitely and it's also while you're there I did the Margaret River ride last year and it's you're so well taken care of as well that's really important part of it it's that you don't have to worry about anything it's seamless from start to like everything's being thought of you don't have to think about food you don't have to think about anything it's amazing so you actually get the space that you don't have in your normal life you get to be to be with horse people it's yeah it is quite magic I can tell you myself it's very magic (laughs) and that's for me that's the really special part of it is the being looked after from start to finish like the horses are amazing um, but it's the way it's being put together that that's the real magic a lot of our clients are women and they're always looking after everyone else you know you're always looking after everyone else and you're generally down the pecking order and on these rides as you say you do not have to want think feel for anything like it's all provided in and you know we have a lot of nervous riders that may have ridden as children but haven't gone back in the saddle then that we you know there's rides that sort of nurture that you know and that you and horses that will nurture that confidence that you just will end the ride feeling as if you know you've got this, you know, you can, you can go on and, and do other rides. So yeah, you, you're spot on. Mm, yeah. I've got four kids. I'm not sure. I thought about them the whole time I was there. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no guilt attached to that. because that's No favorite. guilt, no guilt. Yeah, yeah. no, for me, I, I look after them for, you know, 360 days of the year. So yeah. I get five, I give myself yeah. five where I say, okay, this is about 
me and I leave it all at the door as I walk out and I take yeah. none of it with me and um, I come back and I pick it all back up and boy I deal with it better once I get home yeah agreed agreed so you started it online yeah was that easy for you to do how much knowledge did you have to have for that was it something that just came so naturally because of your background Yes and no. I knew I wanted, again, it was sort of on the pinnacle of online businesses. So I called it www.globetrain.com.au. Um, obviously, I, I, you know, that was just because that was clever marketing so that people also remembered the website. Yeah, it was, I knew of the writing agency. So I knew what the premise behind a writing agency is. And because I'd obviously Globetrotting's built on, that we've road tested all of the rides. So I'd done so many rides when I was overseas anyway, it, it, it made sense. But it was a really slow burn. Like it, you know, when I started it, I, you know, was full time with salt. But in saying that, I had no children, so I had plenty of time. But it just, it was just a really lovely slow burn. And I, you know, can, as the bookings came in, I'd be able to generate, you know, more funds to be able to go and look at other rides. And, you know, it was sort of at that point, the more, time I was giving it to it the more it would grow and that's when dad and I decided that you know when there came a time that I wanted to do globe trotting more than salt then it was time to have a look at selling the magazine and, and running full-time with globe trotting because it was just getting too much so it was a really natural progression to be honest that you know because there's no way globe trotting would have been able to support me you know if I just well, maybe not. I don't know, but um, it it just was a lovely way that how salt sold and then globe trotting, you know, stepped up and it, it's just going from strength to strength. It's like wildfire, to be honest. Yeah, I've watched it grow over the years, and I'm always amazed when a new ride comes up. It's yeah. like, I, I thought I'd seen them all, and then a new ride yeah. comes up, and you're like, "Wow, Kate, well I'm done. <laughs> Found another gem." How do you yeah, find absolutely. them? Oh, it's funny. It's we try and find, like you went to Margaret River, we try and find rides in iconic locations and it, they have to fit. They can't just be, you know, in the Kimberley and have, you know, um, really crap horses. Like it has to tick a lot of boxes before we even consider it and then we got, have to road test it. And we, we're doing a lot of exclusive itineraries now. When we say exclusive, it's only offered through us. And we've worked directly with the outfitter, we call outfitter or partner, to to sort of put together a ride that we know our clients will like. And so generally they're around five to six days. They have to have really good horses. They have to have change of scenery. And then the off-the-horse comforts have to be, you know, relative to what you're paying. You know, because we do do rustic ones. There's, there's no doubt about that. Like in Mongolia where you have to set up a tent. But yourself... But the price reflects it. So we sort of just follow our nose on what riding destinations we want to put on our books. And, and it has to, to, it has to have good horse culture. And, um, that's really important to us because that's what fascinates me. Like I want to be in Mongolia and I want to ride in a Mongolian saddle and I want to ride with the locals and I want to ride on Mongol horses. I don't want to be you know, in Argentina, riding in a Western saddle on a quarter horse. I want to ride a Criollo. I want to ride in the Argentinian saddle. Like, it's really important to, to, to really live and breathe that horse culture. So that sort of is how we, you know, sniff out a new ride. And Australia's been kind to us because we've got such wonderful outfitters and, and we, we, we pretty much closed our books in Australia now to any new rides just because we, 
you know, we have them, we have rides and, you know, exceptional rides in really iconic Australian destinations. And that's why we haven't even, you probably know, we're going to Europe in August through till December. Well, when I say Europe, we're going from Iceland all the way down to Morocco and we have to, we, you know, have to road test all these rides. So we thought, why not invite Globetrotters along for it and take the family, <laughs> we're crazy, and get some more European rides in our portfolio because our, our clients are just asking and asking for us to get over there. So it's just sort of the next step, really. Fantastic. So that whole ride came together from the want of the clients already and yep. you're taking them on the ride with you to check it all out. How many people yeah. are going on this ride? Oh, wow. I think we had 120 saddle seats to sell. So we, I did a survey about three years ago and, and it had, you know, a range of different questions. But one of the questions was if, you know, if we were to put a new ride on and then we listed all these countries and, and then obviously that it came back on the top 10. And so we've slowly worked down at one was the South Island, New Zealand, and we've now got a cracking ride in Glenorchy there. And then America, um, Wyoming and Montana, we've now got two brilliant rides there. And then the next one was Ireland, Iceland and Spain, all of those places. Yeah, this is sort of where when I was hugely pregnant, I dreamed up this 10 rides, 80 days. <laughs> I always seem to do this when I'm pregnant, of, of you know, because I can't ride, of, of um, you know, putting these, you know, grand adventures together so that we can, you know, I've got something to look forward to. <laughs> so wow. This is, this is what it is. So we start in Iceland and we launched what we call an exploratory ride. So we let the guests know that we haven't experienced the ride firsthand. So, you know, but we've put a lot of research in. We've spoken to the outfitter. We've spoken to clients that have ridden with them. And, you know, we don't just sort of close our eyes and pick an outfitter. And then we don't charge a guided rate. So they just come at the same rate as, you know, if they were to book direct. And then they, yeah, they're with us for that um, trip and that exploratory Icelandic ride, oh God, I think it sold out in less than a week. You know, it was nuts. And I think a lot of it is because we have a lot of solo clients, so they like the idea of travelling with us and in a, in a group with like-minded people. And so then once Iceland sold out, we launched another Iceland ride straight after and it sold out. And then we, we said, well, while we're over there, we might as well, you know, work our way down and and look at some rides in Europe and that's sort of how it started. <laughs> Is there any, so where does that one go? From Iceland? Let's go through it again. And Who's next? Iceland, so then Spain, where we ride in Catalonia, then we sort of whip across the island and do some cross-country jumping over there and then we come back to France and then down to Spain, Portugal, and we end in Morocco just before Christmas. And we've got some clients that are doing the whole tour with us, which is so cool. Like literally clients that are quitting their job, you know, mortgaging the house and coming with us or selling their prized bull. We've had clients sell their bulls to, to get on trips before. It's quite funny. It's, um, mm. you know, and they're going to do the whole thing. So it's just, it's lovely because it is, feels like a family. I mean, and obviously we, we tell all our guests will be, we're traveling as a young family. It's the only way we can grow our business. But, you know, we've got a lovely nanny that's going to be with us and it'll be crazy and higgledy-piggledy and there'll be, you know, it, it, it's, 
but it's just the way we roll. I mean, it's, you know, and, and the guests are totally aware of that. So, you know, it's, yeah, it'll be interesting. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, it's done you well so far. I can't see it failing yeah. on you anytime soon. <laughs> Is there any country that you're not in that you would like to be in as far as globe trotting? How big can you actually see yourself getting? Oh, God, good question. That, well, I've always wanted to ride in Tibet, but there's nothing that our outfitter, um, you know, in Mongolia used to have a ride in Tibet, but because of China and, and you know, restrictions, that, that's been really hard for them to, to start up again. So, there, yeah, there's, there's uh, so many, but this Europe ride is going to definitely tick off some of my big dreams. But, um, yeah, then, you know, it's, the tip of the iceberg, there's Kyrgyzstan, you know, the World Nomad Games are every two years. We want to go there. Um, Hungary's got a really good ride destination. Then there's a new ride in Tanzania that I'd like to see, you know, and then there's a lot more rides in America. Uh, it's just, it's exciting, Tracy. There's just, it's just more and more. And we're really looking for sort of, you know, exclusive rides that we have sort of worked with the outfitter and putting together that, you know, really puts a spotlight on the horse culture of that area so there's yeah the sky's the limit to be honest mm, wow <laughs> so it's know. not you know from, from what you're saying it's not like you're sitting back as a travel agent and, and taking a holiday every now and then every destination and every holiday is like a dream of yours coming true and then yeah. the client and the customer gets to go in and share a dream how can that yeah. possibly go wrong well, that's it. And that's the thing is with, I think that all of our tastes align, like my Globetrotters and me, we're all sort of on the same page, which is really nice. Or they just, it's a sort of a blind leap of faith. Like a lot of the clients that booked on the 10 rides 80 days didn't even see the itinerary. They're just like, hey, we know that it's going to be great, you know, book me on it because it'll sell out. So, you know, there's India as well. I forgot that, that there's a really good ride in Rajasthan in the, and the Pushka Camel Fair. Like there's, where you ride the Mawari horses. Oh, there's so many. And then we'll, we'll, yeah, that we'll probably do these escorted departures every two years and do six months. So we'll probably do that in America and then that in Africa as well. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's really, I mean, it's a dream to be honest. And your husband does a lot of the marketing with you as well. So you're, website and the promos that you do for the rides look so fantastic can you tell me a bit about how does you go about putting all that kind of thing together oh, yeah. I know well Stephen so Stephen was brought up out west as well and um, a little place called Nindy Gully but he um, was an electrician and he's just come full-time with globetrotting after Easter this year and so he does a lot of the finances because we work in so many different currencies and then He's a amazing drone pilot and yeah, videographer and photographer. So he is exceptional in that respect. So we make, we find that video is a really good, uh, true representation of the ride. So why not capture it so that our client knows if it's the ride for them, they can have a look at the horses by watching it. They can look at the landscape. You just, you know, there's no way you can paint it. It is what it is. And so, we and we are creative people so we and you know I came from a photography background and, and Stephen self-taught we love making you know film and so that just was 
I don't know, lucky that we had that skill set to then, you know, integrate that into what this big phenomenon is, is, you know, online marketing. And um, we've been really lucky in capturing um, an audience that loves watching our videos. And I guess that if they can't go, they can at least sort of, you know, be an armchair traveller and, and watch it that way and, you know, benchmark it for a following year. But yeah, the, the video is a huge selling point for us and we're constantly sort of teaching ourselves and, you know, we've had drones attached to donkeys to get to remote places and, you know, charging things off solar panels just so that we can get really good footage. We're just constantly chasing good footage, which is, which is fun. I love that with globetrotting, you know, we can be guiding and we can then be doing the bass and then we can be filming in, you know, a remote location. It's really cool. Mm. Is the majority of your clientele from Australia or can people from overseas book with you as well? Yeah, good question. No, probably about 80% are Australian clientele, but we, we're marketing heavily into the US and getting a really good response. Like a lot of, a lot of our clients can book with us regardless of where, whether they're in America or the UK, which is really nice. Generally, they come to us because we only offer that ride. Like for Japan, we have a cherry blossom ride and we're the only, only company that offers that. So they, you know, they'll be American clients and they'll book that and then love the, the seamless um, booking process and personal process that, you know, that we offer. Then they go ahead and book other rides with us or our Glenorchy backcountry ride in the South Island, New Zealand. The Americans are in love with New Zealand, so the Lord of the Rings country. So we capture a lot of them and they book on that. And then they, you know, fortunately for us, it's, a, it's very much a repeat business and they will book something else in Australia or like we've had Americans book rides, you know, that are based in Wyoming and Montana, you know, because they're not paying any extra for booking with us, but they know that the, the information prior to booking and the personal service is there because we, we can ring them and, and still speak personally about that ride and, you know, give them like, you know, tips from what type of camera they should take or, you know, in the, you know, that's specific to that ride. So, yeah, we're lucky. We're really, Laura and I joke, we say we're going for world domination and it's, you know, it's not far from the truth, to be honest. Yeah, world domination in the best possible way though. <laughs> exactly. What a great Absolutely. industry to dominate. What an incredible <laughs> thing. <sighs> It'll take me a long time to come back down from this interview now. I'm going to, I've got all the rides in the world going through my mind. It's, it's, um, You're going to be dreaming of, you know, snapping crocodiles and honking hippos as you cross the Mara River in your dreams tonight. I'm sure of it. Totally, totally, totally. Until my four-year-old calls out and uh, brings me yeah, back to it. <laughs> brings me back to, yeah, everyday life. Absolutely. With the sun. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'd say where to next from here, but we already know you're off to travel the world on horseback with your children. Beautiful. So, Kate, we've. Um, do you have any seats left for the ride that's happening at the end of the year, or is that fully booked? <laughs> we've we've got a couple. We've got Camargue, which is oh, Laura and I are so excited about the Camargue. So you, you know, obviously it's the the wetlands of of France, and you ride the the Silver Brumby lookalike Camargue horses and we're riding with a gentleman called Frederic Bon who's like a third generation Legardian and they muster all of the, the black bulls for um, 
all of the bullfighting in France, which I must say the bullfighting in France is not like Spain. It's no animals get harmed in it. But we have some spots on that and it, you stay in a 17th century farmhouse and we're so excited about that because it really is like a globe-trotting dream because of the horse culture and, and riding alongside a, um, you know, someone like Frederic, you just, again, that's an exclusive ride to us. It, that's something that you just can't find. So we have some spots on that and we've got a couple of spots on our Irish cross-country jumping um, where you stay in a castle that, yeah, I think you two got married there or someone got married there. Anyway, yeah, so we do. We have a couple. Long, long answer to your question. Wonderful. I love it how you are such a natural storyteller because every time I'm there, I'm, I'm totally there. Um, it's, it's a gift. Um, so how, if people would like to fill up those couple of seats that are left, and I'm sure they will, how can people get in touch with you? They can get in touch with me via our website, Tracy, so it's globetrotting.com.au or they can email me, kate at globetrotting.com.au and, we, yeah, pretty much we'll send them a fact sheet and itinerary and, yeah, if it resonates, then we start the booking process. Great. This is a bit more than a book online, get your yes. itinerary and off you go. This is a yeah. do you match the ride? Is this really for you? How are you feeling about this? What do you need to know? Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot more that goes into it than, um, yeah. you know, book a house and a horse and off well, you go. We hold, we, we like to hold people's hands in that respect. We, we work directly with Flight Center and have two agents that help us in terms of, you know, just getting itineraries and insurance and all of those nitty gritty details that a lot of us don't have time to do. So we, we make sure that we're literally a phone call away or an email away in case people are wondering whether, you know, their experience level is correct or, you know, where should they fly into and what should they do after the ride and, then we've got a really vibrant Facebook Globetrotters group that's only available to clients that have ridden or about to ride, you know, with us. And uh, it's so cool. The camaraderie in there is amazing. Like we've had, you know, clients that have sort of started riding lessons and, you know, you know, building up to say our ride in the Barossa. And yeah, the encouragement from all our community is just so heartwarming. We've got such lovely people that um, we surround ourselves with, which is just, yeah, so nice. Mm, I think that's a testament to yourself. It starts at the top and, and feeds out. It's your love for horses and travel that really shows itself. And you're also yeah. on social media, aren't you? Yes, absolutely. And that's, yeah, pretty much you just plug in Globetrotting and we come up. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of inspirational videos there that can sort of whet the appetite for sure. And you're on Twitter, Instagram. Not on Twitter. I mean, it wasn't anything that, but we're on Instagram and Facebook um, and YouTube. There's heaps of videos on YouTube as well. Again, it's all under Globetrotting. Great. Yeah, Twitter's a, an interesting yes, one. Yes, anyway. I'm, I'm, I'm so wordy, Tracy. I couldn't possibly, you know, squeeze <laughs> what I have to say into how many characters it is. I'm an oversharer at heart. <laughs> yeah, because you've got to get your hashtag into those numbers as well. So, <laughs> you know, I'm. I'm on there and I'm finding it quite tricky to deal with myself. So I totally get where you're coming from there. Well, Kate, thank you so much again for joining me today. And thanks for what you do for horses. But even more so, you've gone to the next level and you're helping horse people, everyday horse people, especially women like me, to fulfill dreams. You know, we all have a dream of riding the high country like man from snow river and you can feel yeah. that you know there's so many dreams we have around the world and that's really what you do so thank you for so much that 
that you do to give us the best experience possible every time we want to jump on a horse anywhere in the world. Oh, it's our pleasure, Tracy. It really is. It's hand on heart. We're, we're just completely grateful that we can be offering it and sharing it. Yeah, to all of the horse community, it's a, it's a very special gift for us as well. Beautiful. Thanks, Kate. Pleasure. So how is your virtual tour of the world on horseback? Maybe one day I'll meet you out there on the trek and we can talk horses and take in the world together. To connect with Kate and her globetrotting team, you can follow the links in the show notes or you can go to the blog on my website where you can see pictures of Kate and some of the tours she has on offer. If you get a moment, you might also like to have a listen to earlier episodes in the series. Christina Wilkins, the editor-in-chief at Horses and People magazine, grew up in Spain and her mother was the first person to teach children to ride on ponies instead of horses. It's a wonderful story of Christina's life growing up in Spain and coming close to representing her country at the Olympics. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses, please go to iTunes, subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It helps us climb up the rankings and will help get the message out there. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. You can also share us on your social media. Tell all your friends about us and ask them to join us on our mission as well. You will find all the links to our social media on our website, comealongfortheride.com.au. If your friends don't know how to podcast, just send them to my website and tell them to hit play. It's the most user-friendly way to listen for anyone you know who might be resistant to technology but would love to listen. I would also love it if you would get in touch and say hi. Let me know who you would like to hear interviewed in the podcast. I have some wonderful people lined up to speak to, but this is your show as much as mine, so please, if there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch via the website or social media. I've had a few people get in touch lately and I love hearing from you and knowing that this podcast touches your heart as much as it does mine. You can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram and you can contact me via my website. Thanks so much for listening and I'll catch you next time on Come Along for the Ride.